0: Well, good morning again. Uh, If you're not from Columbus, we have some people um, who are here who have been to the ICOM, and so we welcome you especially. Um, But in this one part of Columbus, well, there are many parts of Columbus that have this suffering pain right now, but there's a place called Route 23, just north of 270, that everyone in Columbus loves right now. It's the greatest place. Uh, It's just a wonderful area of uh, a little bit of construction. And uh, as you're driving, you're actually, it's more sitting. Uh, You just wait, and you wait, and then you wait, and you get a little frustrated. Um, How many of you just love driving on 23 right now? Favorite place? Yeah. One of the things that's interesting is in this situation, you have no control over it, right? It's not like you can do something to make it better, and so you just have to wait. When we lived in Venezuela, it was like that um, in Caracas, in the city where we lived, about 6 million people. And um, they have infrastructure literally for about two million people, so it's like 315. Uh, I'm in 23 all the time. The difference is they're not doing any construction. It's not going to get better. It just is, and uh, it's also a blast because uh, you have motorcycles who just zip in and out. And you're probably thinking, "Yeah, we have that." Totally different, I promise. And if you, some of you who are missionaries from international cities, you know what I'm talking about. It is people drive differently, more aggressively, more interestingly. Um and one of the other things that was interesting is there would be police standing on concrete barriers to not necessarily direct traffic because no one's really going anywhere. It was basically just to keep people from getting out of the car and beating each other up. And so they would stand there. My favorite thing though that I kinda miss, and maybe somebody if you're enterprising you could figure this out um right now on 23, when you're at the standstill, people would come up and they would sell you things like pirated DVDs. That was fun. You could also get water that was unsafe to drink, so that was another good thing. But seriously, you could buy all kinds of stuff. I literally bought some Christmas presents for my family one time as I was sitting on the interstate waiting, because somebody had some stuff. I was like, oh, that's a pretty good deal, so I bought some stuff. So you might want to think about that. Uh, But it's frustrating to just be there and sit and wait and wait and wait. And when we were in Venezuela, our kids got frustrated, too, when we first moved there We didn't know the city at all and there are no signs, there are no directions. And so they would, when we were going to go somewhere that was supposed to be like a 10 minute trip, they would grab their Game Boys and they would grab books and they would say, are we going to go get lost again? Because literally to turn around, it can take you 45 minutes. If you turn, if you miss the right, the exit, to do a Yui, like it takes you 45 minutes. And so they're like, ah, it's frustrating to wait and to wait. And in northeast India, where we are partnering to do new ministry work, they are waiting for Jesus, first of all, and they've been waiting for a long time. But there's also this phenomenon that they don't have roads, and there is one village that's literally a five-day walk to get to the place where they need to get their supplies. And during monsoon season, when you have to cross the river and there are no bridges and the river is high, They wait. And sometimes the government will fly a helicopter in once a week, and sometimes they won't. And so they wait, and they wait. And if you get injured or if you're ill, it will often lead to death because there's nothing that can be done. The situation's beyond their control. Imagine having... That kind of longing, waiting for change, longing for change on a national scale. Now, sometimes we think of that in like our, our our political terms. You know, oh, I can't believe it's going to be another four years until we elect somebody else. You know, and I'm not one side or the other. I'm just saying, you know, that's kind of our ah, oh, it's got to change. We got things got to change. Things got to get better. Um, imagine being in a nation where for 400 years you were waiting. You were longing to hear from God. There was nothing. 400 years of silence. That's nearly as long as the United States has been in existence, times two. That's how Israel was. Waiting, waiting. And finally, into that longing, God spoke, God moved. And God recorded the story for us. And today we're going to begin a brand new journey through the book of Luke. And some weeks, like today, we'll do a lot of verses. And some weeks we might do just a few. It's going to be a long journey, but it's going to be a journey through the book of Luke to help us see not only who Jesus was, but who we are in him. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. Verse 1. And this is how Luke begins his gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's how Luke begins his gospel. Luke was a doctor. He was a very educated man. He was very intentional in the way that he wrote things. He talked a lot about Jesus as a man. He also talked about Jesus, obviously, as the Son of God and as God. And Luke wrote his gospel, we think, probably in about the 60s, in AD 60s. Um, and he wrote to a man named Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. Uh, I do like the way he addresses him. He calls him most excellent Theophilus. So, you know, if you want to address each other that way, hey, most excellent Eileen, you know, hey, most excellent Richard, how you doing today? You know, that stuff would be kind of cool. We could do that. But uh, God has preserved this letter that he wrote for Theophilus for us, and he also wrote another book to Theophilus. It's the book of Acts. And when you combine the the words that Luke wrote in the book of Luke and Acts, he has written more than any other New Testament author, more than Paul. Luke gives us more verses of our Bible, of our New Testament. That's incredible. And his story of Jesus is a history, a narrative of the life of Jesus. And the story of, of Acts is a history of the church, but it's not just a history, it's a theology, it's a, an awareness of who God is. And I, I love that Luke says, I'm going to confirm for you the things that you've heard. This is the truth about Jesus. Commentator Darrell Bach says this about the book of Luke. Luke examines such topics as money, anxiety, persecution, the manner in which races or genders relate to each other, prayer joy and praise. Such topics are just as vital today as they were when Luke wrote. The characters in this gospel tell us much about how people respond to Jesus, as well as what values and priorities can prevent people from responding to him. These topics are rich in their potential for reflection and application. Again, the story of Luke, it tells us not only about Jesus, but it tells us our story, and how we fit into God's plan. And to summarize it, Luke basically says this, Jesus is the best hope for this world. And as followers, we have the opportunity to tell people about that. Jesus is the best hope for this world. He is the first missionary. He came to this earth from heaven Because no one knew who God really was. Knew things about him, but they didn't know him. And he revealed in a greater way the things that God was revealing in the Old Testament. He fulfilled those things. And he gives us an opportunity to be with God in a brand new relationship. But the story of Luke begins just slightly before Jesus was born. So let's continue on our journey, starting in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. So while Zechariah and Elizabeth join with the nation in longing for a change, in longing for God to show up. Zechariah and Elizabeth long for a child. And the Bible is clear. It says it wasn't their fault because that was the assumption. It would have been one of them who had sinned or their parents, or someone had sinned so that they could not have children. But that wasn't the case. They were blameless, they were righteous before God. And yet, they are now so old, their hope is fading. We see later in verse 13, this is something that they had prayed about, but nothing changed. And we get a glimpse of the frustration and the disgrace that Elizabeth felt in verse 25 when she talks about that. Can you feel their pain, their anguish? They would pray, Lord, please give us a child. Daily, they would pray that. And their friends would have babies. And the enthusiasm was a bit muted around Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they wondered, why others and not us? The reality is some of you are facing that right now. Some of you have suffered through that. Or maybe you're dealing with some other kind of anguish, some frustration, some pain, some longing, some unanswered prayer. It might be regarding health. You might be awaiting some results. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Some other relationship is in trouble. Finances aren't what they need to be. Your job, your school... There's some injustice that's going on. You have been the victim of abuse. There's pain. There has been separation by death. And the longing wounds your heart. And the longing scrapes at your soul. And you've prayed... And you've looked at your life and you don't see any cause for this that you can come up with. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're not perfect, but you know before God there is nothing major that has caused this that you can see. And yet God still seems to be saying no, or maybe worse, he just doesn't seem to be saying anything. And you hear songs like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you honestly get so frustrated by that because you already feel like you're dead inside anyway. Hard times don't always come with an explanation. You might have some wounds that simply have not healed. Or some of the wounds that healed left so much scar tissue it changed things. And words, though well-intended, often don't help, and sometimes, in fact, they hurt. Yet, for some of you, even through all of that, even through all of that, you have discovered something unexpected. Through this situation, which you never wanted, and which you would never want, even for your worst enemy. Even through this, you have experienced unexpected growth. And you've seen God's faithfulness even when you question what's going on. And somehow you have chosen hope, and you have chosen to trust that change will come. And the good news is this, change will come. It did for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It did for Israel. It did for all of us. And that great change is that Jesus came. Let's read more of their story. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Change came. Zechariah was one of, scholars say, probably around 18,000 priests who were serving at this time. And he typically would serve in a one-week time frame twice a year at the temple. And as it said, they were chosen by lot, which is like drawing straws or rolling dice, to figure out who would go in to offer the sacrifice. And that likely would happen once in your life. So while the people were praying, while the people were worshiping, while the offering was being made... God showed up. In his goodness, God moved. In his time, God moved. Have you ever read the last words of the, of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi? Listen to how familiar these will, just, will sound. From Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, when all hope seemed lost, God acted. It's the same for us. God will move in his time, either here on earth or in the new heaven and the earth, and he's gonna set everything right. We need to believe Psalm 37.4. Our responsibility is to delight ourselves in the Lord, And he will give us the desires of our heart. Maybe desires we don't even know that we have. And we can believe that promise is true because God is faithful. And he has proven himself to be true. But it's also believable when the Bible says something because the Bible doesn't hide the things that we would probably hide. I think that's one of the great ways you can see the integrity of the word of God. Because as this story continues, listen to what happens. Zechariah asked the angel, "How can I be sure of this?" An angel of God is standing before you. Seriously, this has never happened in your life. And he says something, you go, "No." "No way, dude. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years." The angel answered, "I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until, this, until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Verse 18 helps us to realize that even righteous people, remember, he was called blameless before God, but he even questioned God. Verse 20 reminds us that there may be some consequences to that unbelief. And I love verse 22. I, I'm weird. If you know me, I'm weird. I get the picture of Zechariah playing charades, right? He comes out, and he's like, you know, he's doing all this stuff, and they're like, four words. Sounds like... Bangel. I don't know. That's not a word. I couldn't think of anything. So he's he's doing this stuff. He's playing charades. He's a mime, you know. I love this picture. He walks in. He stays way too long. All the people are like, we've been singing this song for 12 verses now, dude. When are you coming out? So he finally comes out and he can't talk. You can't make this stuff up. But I think God includes that part of the story. He didn't take it out and say, and then Zechariah and Elizabeth had a child. He adds this part because it happened. It might happen that someone who walks with God has doubts. And God will still work in that person and through that person like he did with Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. We are called a royal priesthood. And so we may doubt. And yet God can still work in us and through us. Just a few more verses to finish the story. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Sidebar, women often respond with more faith in the Bible than men do. Women often respond with more faith in our country than men do. Deborah will read more about Mary soon the women who went to the tomb while the disciples hid out. Guys, we don't need women to come down to our level of faith. A lot of us need to step our faith up. Men, it's time for us to work more on our spiritual muscles than we do on our physical ones. Talking to me as much as I'm talking to you. See, your faith has to be active. That's guys and girls, obviously. And in Elizabeth and Zechariah and other people in the Bible and other people in your life who you've seen, their faith was active. So a few really quick things for us to take from this. While you are longing, while you are waiting, pursue God. Zechariah and Elizabeth had hearts that were blameless before God. They were walking with God. Maybe that's the action step for us today. You know, before breaking through 400 years of silence, God said he wanted restoration of relationships. Fathers to turn to their children and children to turn back to their fathers. And for the people who weren't pursuing wisdom to pursue that. Maybe that's the message for you today. Maybe before there's restoration, there needs to be some repentance. Maybe you're waiting for God to act, but I don't know this, but maybe God is waiting for you to act. Maybe he's waiting for me to act. Maybe the change that needs to happen isn't so much our situation. Maybe the change that needs to happen is our heart. David in Psalm 51 said, Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. While you are longing, it's good to keep serving and keep growing, even if it feels empty. Keep serving, keep following, keep loving, keep obeying. Even while you wait. John Ertberg said, Biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed, but they didn't see or hear anything. So you know what they did the next day? They prayed. They pursued a relationship with God based on the way God had revealed himself to them through the law and through the the rituals and the sacrifices, and so they did those things because that's what they were supposed to do, and they, they still didn't see God show up, so you know what they did the next day? They pursued a relationship with God. There was work that God gave them to do, and they worked, and they did what God had called them to do, and even when they didn't see God act, the next day they did it again. It must have seemed futile at times, just going through the motions. But they did it faithfully. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not grow weary in doing what is good. For when the right time comes, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Before the angel appeared, they kept following God. Before the baby was born, they kept following God. Before their situation changed, they kept following God. Sometimes a roadblock isn't a dead end. It's a detour to a new journey, a better journey. So God is faithful. We need to wait. We need to trust. We need to seek. We need to pray. We need to serve. And when the timing is right, we will see God at work and we will see that He has been working the whole time. Because God works all things together for our good. Romans 8 28, we sang it this morning. Did we mean it? We need to believe this God is at work, so I am at peace. And when we recognize that God moves, we need to give thanks. That's what Elizabeth did. When God acted, she praised. She gave her response of thanksgiving. She said, God has shown his favor. God has shown his favor to us as well, even while we wait. Would you please stand and we are going to sing, or not sing, we're going to say the same words that we used earlier from Lamentations, a book about mourning. That reminds us that even in the hard times, even while we wait, even while we long for change, God is faithful. So I'll read the leader part, and if you would again respond from your heart, the words that are written. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. It is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. And then during that song, if you want someone to pray with you about your journey you can come forward. If you want to talk to someone, you can come forward. If you want to say, you know, I do recognize that I need Jesus in my life. I need to give my heart to him. I need to surrender. I need to be baptized. You can do that this morning as well. You can come forward during that time. While you're longing, while you're waiting, trust in God and praise God. Let's pray. God, you really are faithful to us. though we have to admit sometimes we're confused. And so as the man said to Jesus, we say this to you, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Through this, all of these things, God, we recognize that you are worthy, that you are unchanging, that you work everything together for our good, and so help us to trust you. Help us to serve you. Help us to praise you, even while we long for change. Through Jesus we pray.